Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. as we could make you but not to last the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long and you have burned so very very bright hello and welcome to episode 26 of ai movie night i'm your host joe simpson and tonight i'm joined as ever by two great guests to discuss the 1982 sci-fi classic blade runner obviously with the upcoming sequel we're all very excited and it's just great to sort of cover that classic and then have some thoughts about the sequel, which is shortly to be out. So, firstly, I'm joined by Trevor Downey, host of the Excellent AI podcast, and who, if you haven't listened yet, you need to listen to some of his AI Pro podcasts with the likes of Jan Moby and Peter Beardsley. They're absolutely outstanding, and I wouldn't say that unless I meant it. So, thanks very much for joining us, Trev. Praise day, Joe. Thanks very much, mate. Delighted to be on. Can't wait to get chatting about this. Oh, that's great. Me too. Thanks for coming on. I'm also lucky enough to be joined by the co-host of the Brilliant AI Comic Pod and the host of the excellent AI Spotlight, Rory Greenfield. How are you, Rory? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, I would have. I would never forgiven you if you didn't invite <laughs> me onto this podcast. I think so. Um, so yeah, no, I'm glad to be talking about this. Today. Oh, made up, made up. You both could join us, and I just can't wait to hear both your thoughts on it because there's so much to discuss. So, as ever, I'm just going to get straight into it. I'm going to start by asking about. Obviously, it's it's in many people's top ten films, and some would argue it's the greatest ever science fiction film. Why do you think it's come to be so highly rated, Rory? I I've been so. Blade Runner for a long time was was kind of always in my mind. I've seen it so many times, but it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't in my peripheral, like forefront of my my vision in terms of rating it that highly. I think I had to get to a certain age where I, think I could appreciate films for the way they're shot and mm-hmm. and the production elements of things. I think as I've grown a little bit older, I've started to realise 
probably the meticulousness and the effort and the and the skill and the you know I've always looked at films and admired them for X, Y, and Z reasons, but but this is one of those films that I still watch and and at times are you know you know jaw drops really because it's thirty five years old and it's got some of the best choreography and cinematography you know I've I've ever seen. It's got some of the best visuals and, and graphics that, you know, it feels 80s at times, but at other times it feels like it shouldn't have been made yet. It feels futuristic, which is, is in my mind, absolutely mind-boggling, to be honest, because um, it just, it, it pushed cinema and pushed boundaries and pushed limits. And it spawned so much that's come after it. And I think people don't always realize this about films we we talked about alien a while ago and and what that has done for for modern cinema and then obviously you know cinema since it was released and i think blade runner if you watch any modern sci-fi film and the director hasn't mentioned blade runner or hasn't used certain things that it created from this film then it's not a pure sci-fi film really i think it dawned I think it's one of the dawning films of cinema. I think it's one of the most pioneering films that ever existed. And it, it holds up to date as just one of the finest sci-fi films ever created, if not the finest. And and I, like you said, it ranks amongst my favourite films. So it's 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 hard to pin down, but hopefully we'll get some good points across in the next hour or so. Yeah, summed, summed up excellently there. What about yourself, Trevor? Why, why do you think it's come to be so highly rated? You know what, Joe? It's one of those movies that um, I think you can find whatever you want in it. It's it's one of those ones that every time you go back to it, Rory's talking about, you know, um, you need to be a bit older to appreciate um, some more of the layers to it. So I guess that leaves me ahead of the game as a as an old duffer. I can I can see. Uh, <laughs> me too. You know, I can see I can see a hell of a lot going on here. And every time I come back to it, obviously I watch it again in preparation for this. And this time, because recently I've been obsessed with, um, you know, the last couple of years I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading about, um, you know, the different levels of society and hitting and hidden secrets and stuff like that and i swear to god all i could see was illuminati symbolism all the way through the film so like i mean there's there's something for everybody there but again like, like the last film i did with the planet of the apes it's the ideas that are there it's it's beautiful looking as rory says it's just stunning looking like people like douglas trumbull doing just some of the most incredible work and you know what i think the opening sequence is the thing that just hooks you and grabs you and doesn't let you go because here's the thing joe there are flying cars in 2019 and when i was in nipper i thought there would be flying cars in 2019 (laughs) and it's done yeah and it's done so beautifully i mean that opening sequence the way it takes you on the trip with that car uh, with that flying vehicle and you, you get to see up up into the sky you see the neon you see the screens and you're just in it for the ride and like i say you can talk about themes of mortality and identity and memory and authenticity you can talk about even like i said if you wanted to reinvest it with meaning there you can talk about like transhumanism and stuff like that and they're all there and they're absolutely inarguable but it's the most beautiful looking thing i think i've ever seen uh, in terms of a one-off film and like rory said as well it's kind of eerily good you know that those of that those effects stand up to the way to, to, to a modern audience right now there's something about them that's so pure and so beautiful uh, that 
you know, you're, I'm really struggling to think of anything that even rivals it in the very, very cutting edge of modern cinema. It, it's just a glorious looking thing that you can just, it's just a feast for the eyes. Every time you go back to it, there's something beautiful to watch that you didn't see before. Something happening just off shot, just out of the, 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 the center of the frame. So, I mean, I think visually, yeah, the ideas, absolutely. And then, of course, we have to talk about the Vangela score at some stage, oh, which yeah. is... Which is, uh, you know, it's 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 a trifecta of, of of wonder there. You put all that stuff together. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. As you have both touched on, it, it it it's got everything really. As you say, it's got the those stunning visuals. It's got the that score that perfectly, you know, matches it. You know, and it's it's got as well as all that. It's got a heart and an intelligence and. I think because, because like you said, the effects are so good, it feels so real that, you know, when you put it on, you're just transported to this this future. And sometimes it, in films that look so good, you're always aware that what you're watching isn't real because this is done in such a way, it makes it seem so authentic and you're just swept away with it. And it's just a, it's just a joy to watch. And as you both said, it, it's hard to believe how old it is because it stands up so well. I think, I think a big a part of that, I think a big mm-hmm. part of that, you know, the way it's it's shot, I think most of the things are at street level. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have those scenes, uh, especially at the beginning, where you're higher up and with the car and with the cityscape and the landscape, which is amazing, but most of it is done from that kind of lower, dark, eerie, you know, rain constantly you know it's 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 done from that kind of gritty edge with that neon hit um and that's what makes you kind of you feel like you're in the film there's not many shots where it is about the kind of wider landscape or you know there's occasions where they're in different rooms different environments where it's a little bit further out but most of the time it's almost from a a very close first person perspective it's always the camera is right kind of behind the shoulder and that does keep you kind of locked locked into it at all times really that's what i find anyway totally totally and i think that's another example of where you know the constraints of a budget or whatever can sometimes help a film i think one of those streets was reused a street set was reused several times throughout the film but it does it creates that sort of along with obviously all the people they use and and all the extras and things it creates a, a real claustrophobic feel to to so much is what's going on and it just uh, it's just another example of how, how well done the film is um, obviously it's now well known looking back it comes up so often that it was a, a box office and a critical flop relatively initially but it's now obviously hugely popular and critically acclaimed why do you think the, there was that initial you know failure for critics and the general public to respond to it, Trev? Well, realistically speaking, they nearly, like, they pretty much made a balls of it, didn't they? Like, I mean, the film that that, that was received and that went to the box office is not the film that you and I know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, It was a, a, an atrocity with a voiceover, and um, it it had um, basically a happy ending for, uh, for Deckard and Rachel, you know? Um, 
and that was the result. That's that's what happens when you when you uh, screen a film for test audiences and you panic, and you don't go with a, a sort of a clear artistic vision. And uh, I suppose the film that we are talking about now is this. Um, the the director's got. I mean, there was a, there was another edition in the middle, but I think that means that's the reason why we can appreciate for what it what it is now and see everything that's good about it. I think you see that movie with that kind of let's be honest, poorly performed voiceover from Harrison Ford. And, you know, cause he, he, his heart wasn't in it. That's, 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 that's a fact. Um, I think that obviously will color your, 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 uh, appreciation of the film and, and maybe stop you enjoying an awful lot of the ideas or coming to an awful lot of the ideas yourself. You don't want the thing with voiceovers is unless they're particularly iconic things, you don't want exposition and, and, and an awful lot of it seemed to be that, you know, well, the audience don't know what's going on. So let's have Harrison tell them. And, you know, that's going to kill it. I mean, that thing cost what at the, uh, in 1982 or 81 or whatever it was made and released in 82, it cost 28 million and it takes 17. Uh, that is just a flop, no matter what way you cut it. Um, a, a disaster, actually, in terms of like uh, the reputations of the people. Uh, everyone apparently, bar Ridley Scott, you know. And 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 if you see any of the stuff around the making of the film, you had <laughs> very anxious and very pissed off producers and a lot of tension and a lot of, you know, because basically, like I say, the the film that that, that went to the box office is not the film. The film that we see now and we're, we're going to talk about, that's the thing that's absolutely magnificent. That's That's got an artistic vision that hinges it all together, that doesn't require someone explaining things to you because, you know, you've got a combination of imagination and beautifully presented visuals that, you know, colour it in for you, if that makes sense. Yeah, total sense. Obviously, as we all know, sometimes a, a narration can really add to a film, but as you perfectly explained it, it it just didn't work for this it, it, it was done in a really bad way it sort of insulted to some degree the intelligence of people watching it and removed a little bit of the magic or or you could argue a large part of the magic of the film uh, what about yourself Rory you, do you agree with that or do you have anything to add to why you think it didn't do so well initially yeah I mean there's a couple of points I think uh, yeah, completely agree with that. I also think perhaps audiences weren't ready. Yeah. Um, now, I, you know, I was born only a little bit after it came out, but I I, I wouldn't know firsthand, but I, I just don't know if audiences were quite ready for that level of, you know, visuals and sci-fi and future. And obviously it's released around other, other big films in the 80s that did particularly well. Um, it was released at the same time as E.T., um, which absolutely stormed box offices. And I think maybe just, you know, and that happens to lots of films. They, they released around the same time. I think studios are now a little bit more savvy and you'll see a lot of films. There's some recent talk about, um, I think, Wonder Woman and Star Wars, um, the, the last Star Wars film in this latest trilogy are, are going to be released on the same day. And I'm sure someone's going to blink first and, Go no, we're not going to do that. It'll be it'll be Wonder Woman, I think. But um, you you have to realise that sometimes timing is is kind of everything, and sometimes films come along at the perfect time. 
hit the right kind of audience, hit that word of mouth and, and go really well. Um, and then sometimes they get lost. And I, and I think it was a bit of that. It's, it's a lot to do with the fact that the cut was what it was. And I think that probably turned off a certain amount of critical response, which, which doesn't help because no matter what anyone says, critics do have quite a large sway about audiences. And um, if the film's getting negative reviews along with other criticisms and, uh, it clearly wasn't a harmonious shoot by any any stretch of the imagination. I think the studio wanted their money back, but they also kind of wanted rid of the project, really, which it seems crazy to think now. But, I mean, all, all, all's good there as well, kind of thing, in the end. So, Obviously, as we've mentioned, it's stunningly beautiful. You know, I can think of few, if any, films that have made such a visual impression on me. Do you have anything to add on what we've mentioned earlier on about the visuals, Rory? I mean, I could probably talk all day about the visuals <laughs> in this film. <laughs> it is that type of film that just does take your breath away because we we said about, the obviously, the, the beauty in it. And I think there's beauty in the way that the characters are shot. Um, I think the lighting in this film is, is oh. you know, I don't often touch on things like this, but for such a kind of dark lit, street and a lot of it's night shoots and you know i we we discussed the film called the warriors way back and that was all <laughs> shot at, at night and that film had no no sense of lighting in it it doesn't matter because it's not what the film is all about it's about the kind of getting through new york in, in this in the late 70s at, at night that makes sense um this film is all shot at night on the most part and the visuals, just the lighting is just insanely good because I think Trev mentioned it that you're watching it and it catches certain things out the corner of your eye because it kind of almost off screen because it's 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 hinting at certain certain things and you rewatch it and you go I've never noticed that and and that makes sense in relation to this part of the story or that makes sense into this part of the story and it's just very subtly done. Um, the, the scene when they're walking, when he's about to go and and try and find Zora, who's the, the lady with the snake, um, all the marketplace there and all the sounds and the, uh, and the smoke and everything that hits you, it's like it's hitting you right in the senses. It almost transports you there and it's it's very rare that films get that right. It's, it's usually a little bit OTT. Um, or it's a usually a little bit too subtle, but it, it just gets the balance perfect. And the visuals aren't just about these great, stunning, you know, masterpieces, these huge kind of great cityscapes, which are incredible. It's also about the smaller details and, and all the shots are done just perfectly, really. I don't think there's many, I don't think there is a film better shot than this, actually, full stop. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd struggle to name one. Obviously, I can tell, like like us, us both, Trev, you, you're similarly impressed by how beautiful this film is. Is there anything you'd like to add that we maybe haven't touched on? Well, yeah, I've already said, right, it, it's it's very tempting to, to chat about um, the the obvious, the, the, the stunning things, the things that look still, like I mentioned earlier on, as if, um, you know, the, the, there are, you know, drones uh in 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 
you know, ILM working on them all overnight for a month. And that is not the case. And it was it was the effects of 1982 and the fact that they're so stunning. That is it's very hard to, to look past that. But the thing that I it does really stri- stick with me um, and again, kind of always touching it there in terms of the lighting is that kind of uh, dour atmosphere, a kind of the, 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 the darkness that, yeah, okay, all this beauty comes through or this stunning stuff comes through. But I think the most influential thing about this film actually is the way that it was lit and the way that the interiors look in particular. I mean, uh, and and the use of light. Because you think of movies that have come since. I'm thinking of things like Seven in particular, or or The Matrix, or or, or Brazil. And you've got you know rain and darkness and light and and using those kind of things. Even even that, I think I I've I remember reading in the past that things like Akira and Ghost in the Shell are you know were heavily influenced by the look of this film. Um, and it's just to have such. Uh, a lasting impact on other really important works of art that have come afterwards. I think that says a hell of a lot about it. And I know, like I said earlier on, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, I think it was 1990, wasn't it, when they released that 70 mil print without the voiceover, um, some cinema or Fairfax or something. And from then it starts to, you know, develop a life on VHS and word of mouth and it becomes known for the thing that it is. And that's where the influence starts to grow. And and in all the subsequent films, you know, Blade Runner is in many ways the daddy of so many movies and not just in the science fiction genre because of how it looks. Couldn't agree more with you both. It's, you know, it's got so, so much beauty to it in so many different ways. As you mentioned, the lighting, you know, so the different sorts of special effects. I love the contrast between, you know, some of the sort of older things in the scenes and then they've got the futuristic things and it'd be quite easy for that to not fit. But it seems like a real world. You really buy into this being a real future and obviously so much of 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 what Ridley Scott and the writers saw coming in the future. We can see bits of it, you know, the global warming, the rise of corporations and, and advertising and things like that. And it's just all of that together is just, you know, it's just amazing, really, really is. Obviously, as always, we always talk about some of some of the performances and the characters. Um, so if you can tell me what your thoughts were on Harrison Ford's performance and the character of Deckard, please, Trev. Um, you know, it may be slightly controversial to say this, but obviously Harrison Ford at the time was probably the most, he was he was bankable as hell, wasn't he? And he just had this great, great kind of uh, original and unique look, um, you know, not overly pretty, just just a ridiculously handsome dude and kind of very engaging. And and I think, you know, uh, he if I'm right, I think he auditioned or met uh, Ridley Scott, you know, while he was shooting um, Indiana Jones. And uh, he, he, he met him in, you know, he's wearing the gear when he met him. And uh, I think, I think, you know, uh, Scott is quoted saying, look, if this is the guy that, 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 that um, Spielberg and, and Lucas are backing, then, you know, this is the guy for us. And, you know, you can't argue, but that it's a wonderful performance, but there are times in that during the course of the film where, I don't think it's the strongest thing 
uh, about the film at all. I think there are a few times, and and, and we'll talk about um, Rucker Hara later on as well, who's I think incredible in it. But again, there are a few times where I think it kind of goes a little bit away. And me and you've spoken about this before in different pods, Joe, and I tend to be overly critical of factors, but I don't know. There's something about, there's a few moments in it where I just, I'm, I'm not sure if I, he, it, it seems a little bit, he seems almost too wishy-washy and it gets completely confusing for me when you ask yourself the big question that you're going to come to later on about, you know, is he or isn't he? I'll, I will leave it at that. And it, 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 it's that colors everything, right? That colors everything because then you're looking at a particular scene, a particular performance. You're saying, oh, "Why has he done that? Why hasn't he done this?" He seems a really interestingly uh, um, affected by his work. You know, he talks about how he gets the shakes when he when he, when he has to kill people. Um, he's patently rattled every time he sees violence or he hears things that he doesn't uh, that, that 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 are that are unpleasant. He's an incredibly emotional dude for a fellow who is, you know, employed as a blade runner. And this always jarred a little bit with me. And I'm not saying that it's a poor performance, but it, it confuses you. And I I wonder how much that was done deliberately to make us, uh, you know, not even suspect. Um, what, what Ridley Scott revealed to us uh, in a documentary not that long ago, but look, it's 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 probably one of his better ones. But I would say he's got a good lot of other performances that are that are that are way ahead. And I think Rucker Hauer just you know until the end where he starts chewing the scenery a bit, I think he does. Let's be honest, I think he just steals this film completely away from the nominal star. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think I, I really like this performance, but I think some I, I can't tell whether that's me giving an honest appraisal of a performance or whether it's me bringing my own sort of thoughts on Harrison Ford to it. Obviously, like a lot of you know superstars these days, we tend to end up knowing a lot about them. And obviously, I know from interviews and things like that that he, he's a very very no bullshit. He's, he's very down to earth. He's you know he's not easily impressed, and you know he'll give an interview about something like this and freely admits you know around the time that you know he doesn't read science fiction and he hasn't got much interest in it. And I don't know whether it's partially because of that or because of the performance itself, but to me something about the the performance it it grounds the film because. He seems so unimpressed by everything in the film. He's so downbeat, and it, it gives it a real sort of grounding, I think, and allows the likes of Rutger Hauer and obviously those amazing sort of sets and visuals. So it gives them a sort of authenticity just by him being in the film with them in a way. Because he, for me anyway, he grounds it all, and it's I like seeing the contrast between the likes of him and. Yeah, yeah, I think you're dead right on that. And I think that that's that's what I was I was kind of hinting at without without actually saying it in case you didn't want to talk about that yet. But 
I mean, it's it is interesting. I think if you see Rook or Howard talking about this film, um, and I've seen uh, seen him, you know, he's always interviewed about. It. Anytime he's, he's he's interviewed, he's asked about this film, and he came out with this really interesting thing. Like, if you just indulge me here, he says, um, Harrison's character is such a dumb character. He gets a gun put to his head, and he fucks a dishwasher, and he falls in love with her, and it doesn't make any sense, and his role doesn't seem to fit him, or he couldn't make it fit. And I know that was I know that was going on. I don't know why, but if he would have been stronger, I would not have been so shiny, says Rucker. You know, and I just think that's brilliant because he's basically critiquing Harrison Ford's performance and saying he's a bit wishy-washy and he didn't understand what he was. Now, he doesn't brook any uh, uh, conversation about um, the, co- the the idea of Deckard as a replicant. So, as far as he can see, it's just Harrison Ford being a little bit wishy washy and um, allowing Rutger to be the, the 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 sort of sort of alpha male figure in the film, which is weird and interesting. No, very much, and I think that's again probably credit to some extent to to Ford himself that he didn't try and sort of compete with that or you know didn't try and stop him having that sort of, you know, star making. Obviously, I know Rucker Howard had done films before, but this really elevated him. And I, I get the impression, you know, Ford's quite happy to share to share his films, or at least he was then. That's the impression I get. But, no, definitely interesting quotes there from Howard. What about yourself, Rory? Have you got any thoughts on, on the character of Deckard or, or Ford's performance? Yeah, I, I'll be slightly controversial as well. I think he was the weakest element of it at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he grows into the role, and I think that's quite purposeful. Um, I mean, reading about the onset stuff, he he and Ridley clearly didn't get on at all. Um, and I think he might not have taken to direction so well. Obviously, he'd worked pretty closely with Spielberg and... You know, I, th- I think Indiana Jones, uh, along with Star Wars, obviously, it's his perfect. It's it's where he belongs. You know, it's it's his perfect roles for him. I think at times he brings a little bit too much Han Solo to this role, um, and that's just maybe the actor. That's just maybe his character and personality. Um, I think when he gets a little bit, essentially, he gets ground down by getting his ass kicked throughout the film. To be honest, um, and it it slowly starts to take its toll on him. And I think he starts to find his role a little bit more as the film goes on. And I've, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm one for, for kind of strong critique where I think it's necessary, but um, I don't think the actors are, and I think Rudger Hauer is, is extremely important. And I think he's, he is the, the man that steals the show because he's literally when he's on screen, it, it's so purposeful that you can't take your eyes off him, you know, and, and it's so intelligently done that he does steal the kind of limelight and he's the one that has got that kind of menacing, all-encompassing kind of performance. But this film isn't always necessarily about the actors. It's not just the visuals, obviously, but it's the, the whole combination of everything. And I think Ford does excel when he has interplay with some of the other characters i think where he struggles at times and where he looks a little bit out of places is often when he's on his own and and there are some quite a few scenes when it's him obviously doing investigation work and and doing that kind of you know that kind of interrogation but in a in a kind of han solo vibe and it that doesn't quite fit for me um but i i, I do 
genuinely like his performance. I, I do think there's some positives, um, well, plenty, and I'm sure he doesn't really care um, what I have to say. But but you can certainly feel you can certainly feel that I don't think he's entirely comfortable at all times in 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 the role um, in in the in the role of Deckard really. But I do think he finds his purpose as the film goes on a little bit. And I think he finds a little bit more depth to the character. I think you start to not necessarily warm to him, but you, you maybe start to understand his motives a little bit more as it goes on. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, Roy Batty and Rucker Howe's performance, Rory? I just think it's incredible. Um, it's not many, you know, he, he has that turn at the end of, and Trev, yeah, mentioned it before, turn at the end of the film where it suddenly kind of flips from sci-fi to horror. Um, and a lot of films at the time, you know, well, not a lot, but Alien and Alien certainly started to, to go along those um, lines where they, you think it's one genre and you kind of understanding of, of where the story's developing and suddenly it flips the switch. And a lot of modern films have started to kind of take that on. Um, Drive was one I always talk about where you think it's a, a thriller and a uh, well a drama piece and stuff and suddenly it becomes a violent kind of thriller and it just completely changes its tone and, and and there's a lot of films that start to do that now and I mean they do often go back to those kind of performances where an actor is menacing and has that threat throughout but suddenly it changes and and he's he's a genuinely you know I, I don't know. It's it's such a change in shift and and dynamics. And he he has some great moments. He has the best moments in the film, really. Um, the scene when they go to the toy maker's house, um, and he's living in that like dilapidated block of flats, and he you know there's no one else there except him, and and obviously the toys and Daryl Hannah. The scenes where he's kind of just kind of turning the screw and trying to get access to the guys at the corporation and stuff, you just start to feel his presence and then you start to feel a little bit nervous and worried. And it's it's amazing because there isn't a lot of central key characters in this film. You know, there's obviously your side actors and bits and pieces there, but you've only got a cast of six, seven, eight that have any prominent kind of lines and, and scenes. And he really does interact with all of them at one stage or another and he kind of knits the whole thing together. Um, but I just think he's he's mesmerising, to be honest, and he genuinely is quite scary at times and, and I didn't feel like it was forced. He, he, he felt completely natural doing that. Yeah, it's funny, you, you touched on the word in, in my mind there, mesmerising, you just can't take your eyes off him and I think the way he looks... It does look like something that's been created. It's it's so perfect looking, and and just everything he does is in some way interesting. Even just the way he says things, like the way he says questions, yeah. and there's just something about it. It's just, and he always has like he's able to go from being really scary to then suddenly doing something childlike. Obviously, with them being you know, less than four years old, they have that childlike quality at times. And not many people, I think, could convey both those things believably without it descending into something a bit silly. But he's able to do it on, on, you know, on a dime, you know, so easily. And just whenever he's on screen, you just can't take your eyes off him. And everything he does, you know, you can see he's always calculating. He's always calculating his next action and Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Just... Just a joy to watch. Obviously, I know you love it as well, Trevor. Is there anything you'd like to add about the character or the performance? Yeah, well, when I was watching it um, for this, something struck me that I'd never, I'd never noticed before. So the first thing um, that he says, I, I believe, is he says time enough. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that he says is time to die. And that's just beautiful framing for a start, right? That's that's just gorgeous, dramatic thing that that. And like I say, it's that's what I'm talking about. How it rewards you every time you come back. I'd never seen that before, and that that just really kind of hit me around the head. I was like, wow, that's beautiful. And look, frankly, okay, if you see him now, like he's actually he looks and sounds a lot like Donald Trump, which is massively unfortunate. But <laughs> but but uh, but. No, he, he genuinely does. It's 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 kind of unnerving. But in that movie, like frankly, he's an extraordinary looking man. And yeah. you know, for for a dude who's suffering from accelerated decrepitude, you know, he he's looking pretty good. And in in that kind of brilliant eighties way, that you get away with being like, yeah, I'm I'm a lead man. And okay, yeah, I am I'm in good shape. Okay, I'm not in, I'm not ripped or anything, but I'm in decent nick here, you know. And I, I can get away with wearing. Some sort of cycling shorts creation for the whole last sequence of the film, <laughs> uh, al- along with socks and shoes. I mean, who the hell can do that? And uh, you do and, it, don't you, Chef? Well, yeah, but you know, there are not many of us, Joe. There are not <laughs> many of us that can pull this kind of thing off, you know. But like, I, I think, yeah, look, he's an incredible looking uh, specimen of a human all the way through, and he and he's and 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 made to look even more um, um, striking by by the way he's lit and shot. And uh, Rory's Rory's exactly right. I mean, he does have he does have all, all the best moments in the film, and he has the best lines. I mean, has there any Aww. any character ever had a better collection of lines? You know, I love the scene with Tyrell. I love this, um, you know, man or, or cre- creature meeting its creator thing. I absolutely love that. You know, 
yeah, he, he, what does he say? It's not, a, it's not an easy thing to meet your maker, he says. And at one stage, he, Tyrell's asking, what do you want? I want more life, Father. Like, this is wonderful. You know, and the little confessional moment, he says, I've done questionable things. Then the pause is perfect, you know. So there's just something wonderful about that. And, you know, um, he sells it perfectly but i do have to say when that last sequence where we basically go to crazy town and as rory says it turns into a sort of a uh maybe a, a, a b movie kind of a slashery thing with lads yeah. putting their hands through walls and grabbing lads and breaking fingers and hanging off things and just the way that he carries on the action i've no problem with it's just the ham uh and and cheese uh combo uh, that 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 rutger brings to it it actually, for me, it sort of devalues what is one of the most incredible performances in cinema, recent cinema history. That, to me, I, I would want a director saying, ah, listen, rein it in there, fella. I could do without the howling or I could do without the, you know, do, do you know what I mean? So for me, I have to say it's, 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 it's a shame. But then, of course, we end up with this beautiful um, sort of uh, tete-a-tete on the roof and the whole thing is rescued and redeemed and he goes out on such a high, you know. So overall, like Rory said, utterly steals the film. Utterly steals the film. It's his movie. Yeah. I think there's two minutes of madness in there. I think there's two two minutes of... Yeah, um, and it taints it, doesn't it, Rory? It, 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 it does... does take you out of it because you kind of go, shit, where's this come from? Because yeah, I think when yeah. I rewatched it, yeah, a few years ago, I was like, I'd completely blocked that out of my memory from when I watched it, you know, yeah. many years ago, because it's the part of the film that just doesn't quite fit. It's um, just not cool. It's everything else is so <laughs> bloody cool, and that's yeah. just not cool. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird emotion. But I, I think what Joe mentioned about him being basically a child because it's it's they're two years old, four years old, whatever. It, it doesn't. He's not completely developed in, into knowing what he is and, and what his life's about and, and those kind of things. But it does go a little bit B-movie. Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit strange. But the roof scene, I, I think, does redeem things. It brings you straight back down to where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with you both. Obviously, I understand the reasons for it. You know, as you say, the childlike nature, and obviously he's, he's dying at that time, and who knows how... A, how a replicant dies and what effect it has on them. But I think I totally agree with you both. It, it should have been dialed down somewhat. I know what they were trying to do, but I think it probably went too far. But like he's both summed up perfectly. I think they probably tied they rest- all the night shoots at that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that exactly. scene was shot basically about four hours before the creative team were going to pull the plug on Ridley's direction or something. So it may be that he slightly <laughs> rushed that scene because yeah. he was worried his film would be to lie from him. Yeah, yeah, he probably went, yeah, should we reshoot that? No, they're really knocking on my door here. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. he probably that, just, yeah. Makes more sense. They're coming round, so we just decided to, to watch it and get it done as quickly as humanly possible, maybe. <laughs> Obviously, we mentioned some of the other characters and performances do, do any of them particularly stand out for you, Trev? Um, you know what? I, I, I know you want to get through the loads here, so I'll just keep mm-hmm. it to one, Joe. For me, um, just in terms of being, again, just that particular brand of Blade Runner cool, I love Edward James Almas's character. Just, just, uh, yeah. just love that character. Love the look of the character. 
um i've been sporting a very similar beard for a lot of years as well and uh, yeah I, I like to think i could almost carry it off as well as old uh pock face but probably not and you know this is the dude who uh you know was the was the captain of miami vice and so when i saw this film i was just i was actually watching miami vice in those days as well and it was new and it was kind of edgy and i just thought well look at this guy he is just knocking it out of the park and he's such a central little character from right from the beginning right to the end is one of the voices you hear last in the movie so yeah for me he's a real standout are there any that stand out for you rory i just think rachel's mesmerizing to be honest i just think the scenes when she's smoking and they just get that just she's just almost perfect in terms of being a vision um and i can understand how she she plays such a central role in in the whole development of the story and 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 eventually Deckard's kind of motives as a character. So I just think she's pretty damn crucial in the whole thing. Um, and there are more. I think Daryl Hannah's good in the small role she has. Um, and I think you know I think everyone has a, a a kind of telling contribution. I love all the elements around Chinatown and all the clubs and even the the extras around there. I just think it's all so well done. No, uh, I, I love Rachel as well. You know, as you say, again, like um, Batty, she's she has that sort of look of beauty and perfection that just I don't know why it just it really makes uh, it makes them more believable as something that's been designed. You know, that you would design yeah. this sort of perfection, and obviously Daryl Hannah as well uh, as Priz you know, uh, and Zora, you know, they all have something different going on, but in particular, Rachel and Batty are just, you know, beautiful and just, uh, you know, so watchable in in these roles. I'm now going to look at some of the scenes. Obviously, we've touched on some of them. So I know, Trev, before you, you, you touched on it before. So can you tell me a little bit more of your thoughts on the scene where Batty meets his maker, Tyrell? Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful because it's at at the heart of of one of the key themes. You know, the idea of identity, and you know, again, just I love it. I love a shite pun, Joe. And and as as I was looking at, all I could think of because there's so many eyeballs floating around this movie. You know, <laughs> I just kept thinking identity. Bloody hell! I you know, and like I said, you kind of want you start to wonder. You know, I honest to God, I, I when you know when I was watching this, you know, with it with a kind of a a particular uh, lens on on there today, you know, or, or the last day, I actually couldn't stop seeing uh, Illuminati re- related imagery. So it's just like you can see what you want to see, but the, the 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 idea of identity in that scene is 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 brilliant. I love the idea of the. This, the sort of as as Tyrell calls him the prodigal son returning the guy who's done questionable things and it's also Oedipal and uh, you know do you know what's brilliant about it? speaking of the eyes is that the way that the 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 replicants seem to prefer to kill is to take the eyes to go through the we see Leon do it early on and the way in which um um um. Batty chooses to kill his maker to to act out on that kind of uh, Oedipus like way is to go through the eyes with the thumbs and it's so violent but it's so symbolic you know to take um, 
it, 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 the I being associated with identity all the way through the Voicamp test, the everything, the I is the identity, I scanners, um, you know, um, and, and it's just, it's, it's such a layered symbolic way of, 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 of the creature, um, overcoming the creator. I absolutely love it. It's, it. it's so layered. You could talk about it for ages. Um, and you could obviously, I think people have a little bit of a tendency to get to, to use a really technical term, wanky about stuff, and 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 inve- <laughs> you know, and, and and invest it after the after the 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 event, but they can't. Phil K. Dick's novel has a lot of these themes, and that's the source material. So you know, these things come from there, and the that idea that is such a dominant idea now elon musk and the boys talking about transhumanism all the time i think that's just fascinating i honest to god think it is more human than human it's not it's not what tyrell says and 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 he ends up dying uh, at the hands of one of his creations it's it's a beautiful scene really really powerful on so many levels yeah and uh, and like you say the, the all these creators the, the the danger they're in but they all have you know the such pride in their creations you know whenever they meet them they, they you can see they're all very prideful of these creations and you know that interests me as well because i think sometimes that that's an insult to the replicants themselves in a way because it's like they've got this pride in them but no real care for what happens to them uh, you know treating them as objects rather than you know as they believe you know as people, essentially, they're not being treated like that, they're treated as objects. And it's interesting you mentioned about the eyes and all the symbolism. I also love that along with all that. It's also a very coldly, ruthlessly logical way for these, you know, super strength beings to to, to terminate a human, essentially, through, through this weak spot in the strong skull area does these eyes whereas to you know mm. most humans they would never dream of doing that it's too distasteful to to even do but to them it's just a logical way and also like you say a way probably of conveying you know the the anger that they have to you know to the to their maker what about yourself rory have you got any any other thoughts on when batty meets tyrell I, I, I don't know if I can embellish much more than that, but it it is one of those scenes that just defines the film, really. I think it's a scene that needs, I think almost before and after it, almost goes into the background. It's the scene that really defines why they exist and, and, and the questions around why they were created and what they're there for. Um, and there is a lot of symbolism. I think, you know, the eye is almost the first thing you see when the film starts, you know, you, yeah. you get that image of the eye and the reflection. Um, and then you get the, the kind of litmus test and all the stuff that comes along with it. And yeah, ultimately I think that's the scene that I remember most. Um, I think a lot of people would go back to this film, would always say Harrison Ford, or they'd say this, that and the other, or the visuals. But I think that's the scene that if you want to go deep into the film and the thought process and the meaning and understanding, that's the scene that would, allow you to do that that's the scene that kind of ties up a lot of the questions you might have and thoughts you might have but it's equally the scene that kind of changes the tone of the film and and brings towards the kind of conclusion and it just gives it a little bit of a shot of adrenaline when i think it needed it because i'm not saying it's there's no part of the film especially in the director's cut when everything is 
as smooth as it can be that's slow but it's just building and building and building towards that point and then you get that kind of ultra violent death and then it changes changes your mindset a little bit as the film goes on yeah no couldn't agree more and obviously we touched on it before in terms of you know Deckard's battle with with Batty um obviously we touched on the battle itself but what are your thoughts on obviously the ending and that legendary tears in the rain quote Rory and also why do you think it is that Batty at the end of this battle then saves Deckard do you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot and I've debated about this a lot, but I don't know if I have a kind of logical answer. You know, a lot of people have different interpretations of this. Um, some people would say it's because he's on his deathbed and I think he realises that ultimately he's not the enemy. You know, it's it's he sees him as the one that's trying to kill him, but he's not his creator. He's not the person that is restricting his life and and maybe people perceive that as him just kind of finding a little bit of redemption um other people may go down the the replicant route of things um i'm not sure i i know i know that ridley said that but i know that harrison ford has equally denied it in a different interview and i know that other people have very different thought processes so it's difficult. I think it's. I think it's a really surprising ending because it's not what I expected, um, and I think ultimately, I don't have an explanation for it. Sitting on the fence is not the funnest place to be, but <laughs> I honestly, I honestly don't quite know. You know, having not read much of the source material, I don't quite know what the overall understanding whether they wanted a, a kind of happy ending as such whether they wanted to think about making future films and that within the sort of process you know because he is he's the lead as such or whether it is ultimately got a much deeper purpose and understanding so no it is it is hard to to be definitive on, on what you think of of that scene what about yourself trevor do, do you have any thoughts on on why he, he saves their heart at the end there. Yeah, at this stage of my um, Blade Runner appreciation uh, curve, I'm absolutely going to go all out here and just uh, and just say that, yeah, it, it, look, Deckard is a replicant. That's the only thing that makes any sense, right? So so if you think about it in that way, um, it, it might explain um, the idea of, 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 of Batty saving him. And then as they sit down, Batty's kind of like Deckard's basically lying there. He's, he's you know, half, he's, he's in bits and uh, he's not going to offer any more fight. Uh, he's being rescued. And in a kind of almost avuncular way, you've got you've got um, old Batty there kind of lecturing him. He says, you know, he says it's quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it's like to be a slave, he says. You know, and that's what it is to be a slave. I think that's what the line goes like. It's almost like it's almost like he's talking to a guy, you know, you don't know what it's like for, 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 for the rest of your brothers, you know. Um, and, you know, as the, the scene ends, there's a very deliberate dissolve from Deckard to Batty. And it's almost like, I, you know, as I watched it, I went, that's, you know, that's a cinematic trick. That's a, a directorial cinematographer trick to make an association between the two people. And why are you doing that? Why are you suggesting that? And then in the immediate aftermath, Joe, uh, when old Eddie almost comes up in his cool hat and cool beard, and he says, uh, 
you've done a man's job, sir. Like, what's that line? What's that mean? Why is he got? Why is he? Why is he straight emphasize that he's got done a man's job? You know, like you know, for a replicant. Is that is that it? And 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 you know, uh, he said, "I guess you're your best. I guess you're through." And then uh, it's as if Harrison Ford kicks back into Harrison Ford mode and says, "Yeah, finished." And there's a little kind of sardonic grin. And then we see that, as Rory mentioned earlier on, almost completely the uh, change of tone again for that last scene with Rachel um, in the, back in the apartment. He's he's like a different guy. You know, he's all action and 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 and, and focus and. Um, I don't know. I, for me, the only thing that makes any sense is that uh, Batty recognizes one of his own. Do we think? I mean, if he is a replicant, do, do we think he's a he's a different model? He's got yeah. Nexus Six because he exactly. he's not got the strength. You know, he's getting his ass kicked pretty much throughout it from the the stronger, better performing kind of upgrade as such. So I, I have thought about this, and, and a lot of people do come to that conclusion. It's just the emotional element of things because obviously. Rachel has somewhat of an emotional input because of the memories that have been planted and her not really knowing what she was and, and what she truly is. But you don't get the sense that he he has that, you know? It's But then you don't know the background story. It is coming from a moment where he's dragged back into it and you don't know what's gone on before. There's only hints and only kind of, you know, he is there as a Blade Runner, he's there to kill. But it it's interesting. It, it I still think it could go either way. I think I can see. I just can see both arguments. I don't think they'll reveal anything in the sequel. Putting it that way. But do you know what? Do you know what, Rory? I think it really helps if you think of him as a replicant for one particular scene, which always grates at me watching it. Is that really icky sort of forced love scene? Um, I mean that yeah. just. That yeah. is problematic as fuck. Uh, I don't know yeah. what it they is. were. Yeah. Oh, it is. yeah. Oh, you know Christ. when he shoves her. You know when he shoves oh. her. Apparently, she wasn't expecting that, and they kept it in because it completely took her off guard, um, and she really didn't know how to react to it. But but um, but but, yeah. but 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 t- I'm going I'm going with your line of, of of argument here, and and what makes me think, just please let him be a replicant, is that he is like you you know emotionally underdeveloped it might explain an awful lot you know you know i i i really want to give him that because christ alive that's hideous i mean that's a throwback to 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 movies you know you wouldn't have even seen that in the 40s i mean it, it, it was it really jars with me and it just doesn't fit um and i know they used to do shit like that in the 80s in movies and say raucous things and do raucous things but it it to me, I, I like to I like to use it as a, an explainer for why he's uh, so awful in that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, you're right. Because whenever you, you see say, a bad actor in any sci-fi, he's a robot. He's a replica. He's a replica. Yeah. That bad scene is because exactly. he's an emotionless replicant. No? <laughs> it, it, it is a good explanation because I like you both. I have problems with that scene. I think on the sort of say, I, I like a lot of people, I veer from time to time, whether I believe he is or isn't a replicant. But I do think that Batty letting him live can also be, even if he thinks he's human, because with with his life, with it, 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 the way he is in the film, you can clearly see as his life is, is getting near at the end, Batty's it, his joy an appreciation of exactly what life is and how precious it is, is is increasing all the while. And I think you could definitely make a decent argument that 
when it came down to it, and obviously he already has some re- regrets, as he mentioned, over what he described as questionable acts. He's already got some regrets about things, and I think you can make a decent argument that in these last breaths, his appreciation for life is such that he would rather let Deckard live than see another life go out at the same time as his own life. But, you know, obviously the beauty of the film, I suppose, is is that all of these things are possible. I think I, I, I prefer it ambiguous to definitively answered anyway myself. And like what you've just said, Rory, I hope they don't definitively answer it in the sequel. But it'll be interesting to see. And talking of the sequel... Um, is both glad they've made a sequel or or is it something you wish they hadn't gone near? And if you can answer that first, please, Rory. Uh, can we can we let Chav go first on this? Because yeah, of course. I'm quite intrigued on his take on it. Um, I'm quite excited, but mainly because, well, there's a few factors, but I, I'm kind of intrigued about someone else's take. Yeah, well, uh, look, it's... it's um... If you're gonna, if you were gonna put together a kind of a dream team, right, in terms of uh, a, a guy who has maybe not quite Harrison Ford status, but like you know, a very, very reliable leading actor status, and you're gonna get a, a, a you know, cool as fuck and brilliant as fuck director to deal with this sort of um, genre. Uh, you know, we're 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 rolling um, in the right direction here with this sequel thing, and I I was wary as hell when I heard about it. And when I saw the trailer, it kind of made me uh, nothing but excited to see it. I have to say, it just there's something wonderful about this new scratchy electronic uh, soundtrack. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I hope it. I hope it's as strong throughout the entire movie because that could really sell it. I love the look of what we can see in the trailer so far. Um, I I always find um, um, Gosling a little bit hard to warm to, and that might just work perfectly again um, for this particular actor. So we could be in for the perfect sort of a, a combo. So if the question is, Joe, am I excited to to see the sequel? Uh, yes. Was I wary as hell? Oh, absolutely. Now it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite. Um, uh, you know. Kenny staying on for an extra season wary. It was just I don't go, you know, don't go messing with, you know, a, a legacy of, of, you know, damn near perfection. But I, I hope, I hope, like you guys are saying, I hope they take it the hell away in many ways to make it a new kind of a story. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm the only thing I'm wary about. I'll be honest with you. The only thing I'm genuinely wary about is the involvement of Harrison Ford because. Yeah. I don't understand that. And let's be honest, that knocks my replicant theory into a cocked hat, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I had thought about that because obviously this film is set 30 years later. So um, he's he's one very evolved replicant if he can survive for that length of time. But mm. um, I'm, I'm intrigued about him in it and I'm hoping it is quite a peripheral role. And I think it will be. Um, yeah, I think it will. I was a little bit uh, obviously dubious and, and a bit sceptical because obviously a lot of Hollywood is all about remakes and retellings and reenactments and all the rest of it. But I think with the people that are involved and certainly the production crew and, and everyone from that side of things, but from a director's point of view, uh, Danny Villeneuve is, is probably the most you know 
interesting director in Hollywood at, at this moment in time. Um, and after watching, you know, uh, Prisoners and I can't remember what his other kind of dark film is he, he did a while. Well. Yeah, Sicario, which I really like. A lot of people don't, but I, I think it's great. But Arrival was the kind of key one because that's the sci-fi. And there was a lot of talk about him uh, or Blancamp doing an alien film and that never happened. And I, I was kind of excited about that prospect. And then when Blade Runner came along, I thought, if there's one man that can probably bring it into the 21st century, but kind of still be sympathetic to the original, it's probably him. Um, I think looking at the visuals, the trailers, it looks just sensational. And mm. we talk so boldly about the original, how great it looks. This film is still a film and a, a concept and something that does deserve modern visuals and modern cinema to, to, to still do it justice in that way. But But to kind of give it another kind of retelling in terms of visuals. I just can't wait to see what it looks like and what the city and the the design and all that will be. And and I'm quite a big Gosling fan. I, I, people are really undecided about him as an actor. He, he, he obviously people like him and he's had Oscar nods and, and for half Nelson and La La Land and stuff. And people like him for the kind of heavy roles like Drive he's actually a better comedic actor than anything else. If you watch things like The Nice Guys, he's absolutely hilarious. But I think he does the kind of brooding... He, he suits the coat, let's put it that way. I think he suits... He carries yeah. the coat quite well. Um, he and does. Yeah I, yeah, I just think it'll... I think if they get it right and all the early reactions are very positive from the people I respect within that kind of industry, um, I'm hoping it will be as good as it as it can be. Um, and And... I think there's enough there. There's huge amounts there to to develop. You know, there's some films and some concepts that are, I have issues with. A uh, certain Star Wars film that was released last year because I, I just didn't think it needed to be made. It's filling in gaps where your imagination's already filled them in. And I just think with something like this, there's enough there to tell a new story and go in new directions without having to just revisit what's gone before. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'd echo you both there. Obviously, weary because we know the dangers of revisiting something so beloved many years later. But like you've both said, the the caliber of the people involved gives me a lot of um, a lot of hope. And a critical reaction to date from those who've who've been lucky enough to see it sounds very encouraging. So, fingers crossed, it'll live up live up to our expectations and. Before we leave, obviously we've covered a fair bit, but is there anything we haven't haven't touched on that you you wish you'd have mentioned or you'd like to give a shout out to or anything let, like that? Let's Trev, Trev talk about missed? the soundtrack. Let's talk. <laughs> he's not a chance yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look. I mean, yeah. We that that's actually. I don't know. Was it was it yourself, Rory, or or, or Joe? So that's a, it is a podcast in itself. That because it's 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 a sort of a, a living, breathing thing. Like right from those two kind of percussive beats that start the film. You know, like boom, boom, and then you're straight into this beautiful sort of theremin like electro um opening notes of that of, of that Vangelis soundtrack and it's it's just gorgeous but you know what the thing that we could have dwelt more on I, I, and again you can nearly do an entire podcast on it is the tech i love the tech i love the void yeah. camp machine oh, i love do you know what do you know what? actually it's wonderful right 
but the, the, the idea of it breathing and everything, I love that. But just my last thought for this uh, podcast is my favorite piece of tech in it is this beautiful, not quite steampunk, but almost there piece of tech that uh, Deckard uses in his home when he's examining the photograph and he just slides it into some sort of photograph examining slider gap. And he's watching an old fashioned portable TV, essentially. And the best part of it is there are two little analog clocks sticking out the side for some reason and it's vo- and it's voice activated and you put those things together it's just brilliant and i hope they play with the technology like that in the new one yeah no i, lo- I love all those bits myself it's it's there's just something magical about seeing sort of as you say high high technology fu- futuristic tech blended in with old-fashioned things and it just I don't know. It just makes everything so much more memorable than if it was, and unbelievable also than if it was, you know, if it was all futuristic. And obviously, the real world to some extent is like that at times. You know, futuristic things, you know, right next to all the fashion stuff, and there's just something about it helps to to ground the film for me, and it gives it an authenticity. What about yourself, Rory? Is there anything we haven't mentioned that you you want to touch on before we finish? Um, I, I think we have to talk. I have to talk tech a little bit as well, then, because <laughs> the scene when he's in the club and he's essentially calling his girlfriend on FaceTime um, oh, yeah. is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> he's in yeah. the club, like all this, and she's he's like, "Yeah, come on down, come on down, you love it." And she's like, "It's not really my scene. It's really not my scene." And there's bits of graffiti on it as well, which I think was yeah. great. There's bits of graffiti and on the And screen. then I don't know, it ends and it tells him he owes it three dollars twenty-five or whatever. But you know, that's thirty-five years ago, and, yeah. and I think that, along with a couple of the other things, would with visuals that they used in, in Alien film, which was three years before that. I think it was exactly the same um, technology. And it's just such, I don't know, it, it was quite predictive of what comes in the future. I mean, flying cars aside, a lot of the things that are used in there are things that are quite... They've, they've normal, got flying you know? cars, Rory. They've got flying cars. They're just they've not just giving them hidden away. Yeah, fastest. they're in North Korea. They're in North zero, Korea. zero point energy is coming, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll have it all somewhere. But this this films that have played on that, I mean, Minority Report, um, there's so much technology in there that suddenly came out about five years later, you know, all the heavy touchscreen stuff and the, mm-hmm. um, all the, the sound kind of based weaponry, which it does exist in some capacity or another. Um, and all the eyeball stuff in that film as well, which I instantly think back to Blade Runner. Um, and all that stuff exists now. And, and if you look at sci-fis over the, over the years... They've predicted stuff far ahead. I mean, just as much as The Simpsons have predicted. You know, it's quite <laughs> remarkable, really. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to end. So thanks very much for joining me. I really enjoyed hearing all your thoughts on this film. Is Where can people find more of your work, Trev? Uh, Anfield Index, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> I like it. Anfield index. Yeah. It's just, it's just all there, Joe. It's just all there. <laughs> I like it. It's not, not hard to find. Is it? No, it's not <laughs> hard to find, mate. I'm kind of uh, annoyingly ubiquitous, so I apologise. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And what about yourself, Rory? Um, yeah, I, I, football is. I, I, I do not envy Trevor at times because it is, it's quite a difficult difficult time to talk about Liverpool so regularly and um, some frustrations and whatnot but 
Um, I'm generally focusing on my other love, which is generally film. Um, and we've been doing uh, bits and pieces, but um, AI Comic Pod, we did uh, Batman Begins, um, which it's not parallels to this film, but uh, incredible soundtrack and direction and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we, we, we did that last night, so that'll come out soon. And yeah, we're covering a few other things. But yeah, I need to get... Need to get you busy man there's so many films we need to talk about at the minute it's kind of starting to become a, a really interesting year for cinema i think there's still more to come but blade runner should be should be pretty sensational when it's out next week definitely definitely and i think encourage anyone listening i'm sure you already have to check out trev and rory's work on 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 anfield in next you know be it football or you know like rory as well as the football he does the comic part and films you know please check it out because there's some excellent stuff there. And if you'd like to uh, follow me on Twitter, it's at JoeSimpson79. I'm always open to film suggestions and anything like that or at AI Movie Night. And uh, please download the AI Channel app as well. There's so much, something for every everyone. And, you know, obviously, like all football fans, sometimes we after their defeat, you might want to listen to some football chat for a couple of days. There's there's something for everything you like on there so please check it out once again thanks to my guests and thanks to everyone for listening Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.